Welcome to the August 23rd sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 4, verses 16 through 29, and the sermon is entitled, The Women at the Well, Sin and Salvation, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We're going to continue on in a Bible study. I want you to get your Bible out, uh, whether you're home or right here in the sanctuary or even in a car. Get your Bible out, and I want you to turn it to the Gospel of John in your New Testament. We are going to take another step forward in the gospel. This is a great witnessing tool about the life of Jesus Christ. As you are with me throughout these sermons, my prayer is that you and I are growing in a witnessing tool, growing in understanding how we might witness to a world in great need. This is a tool that John, the disciple, left for us that it might be a witnessing tool. If you remember, Jesus had two sets of brothers on his disciple team, Andrew and Simon, who later became known as Peter, and then also two brothers whose names were James and John. All of these guys were fishermen. They were hale and hearty. They were strong men. But Jesus changed their profession and changed their calling. They were no longer going to be dropping nets into the sea for fish, but rather Jesus called their profession and their calling into being fishers of men and women for the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation and the forgiveness that can come only through him by the grace and love of God. So these brothers, James and John, were the sons of Zebedee. All of them were fishermen in this family. And if you remember, in their young days, these young men were known as sons of thunder. Uh, In the Greek language, they were known as boanerges. They were impetuous. They were fiery. uh, And uh, they were absolutely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting that history records that James, of those two brothers, was probably the first disciple to die a martyr's death as a servant and preacher of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first to die was James. His brother John was the last to die out of the disciples. He lived to be a very old man, living to old age, and he accomplished much in his old age. Uh, As you see those little letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in your New Testament, those are probably the last writings of the old, old man John where he called the church members little children. The reason he called them little children is he had earned that right. He was so old that everyone else was a child to him. But the Gospel of John was a, a record of the life of Jesus Christ, the biography of the life of Christ. He wrote this again as a witnessing tool to leave behind after John the disciple left earth. This was the tool that he would leave behind. He walked with Christ. He heard him preach. He saw the dead raised. He saw miracle after miracle. And about 50 years after his relationship with Christ, after Christ had ascended to heaven, about 50 years later, God moved on his heart by the inspired word to write this word down of this biography of Jesus. And if you remember in the 20th chapter of John, verses 30 and 31, he tells us why he writes it, so that the world might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is his witness to the world. And I know that this gospel has led millions to the Lord Jesus Christ since it was written. In fact, I imagine that one verse out of this gospel has led countless thousands to Jesus. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those words of Jesus have led countless thousands to Christ as Lord and Savior, written down under the inspiration of God by the older man whose name was John. Now, last week we studied a section of this memorable account of Jesus' life as he reaches out in an appointment to a a lonely, outcast Samaritan woman in the community of Samaria in the little town of Sychar. Uh, He reaches out to a woman who is not like him, who is of a different race than he is, who probably is somewhat of a different color than he is, uh, whose lifestyle is completely different from his lifestyle, yet Jesus reaches out to her. If you remember, he meets her at this well at Sychar, Jacob's well, the well that was given to Joseph, his son. So this well had a history, and it was now the watering place for all of Sychar, and all of the town comes outside of the town to the well of Jacob and draws their water there. But as Jesus travels into town with his disciples, remember, if you were here last week, or if you need to listen to last week's sermon, Jesus traveled through Samaria with an intention. He wanted to meet this one woman. This was a holy appointment. She didn't know it, but when she walked out to that well in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day where there would be no one else there, there was one lone man sitting on the lip of the well. His name was Jesus. And he was there to meet her, and he was there to talk to her. And as she approaches him, remember this is a Samaritan woman, and a Jewish man. Jesus crosses the racial and social barriers and strikes up a conversation with her. That would have never been done by anyone else. But he steps across all of those barriers and he begins a conversation with her and he moves from physical well water to offering her the spiritual living water of forgiveness and being right with God, being forgiven of that which she had done against the Lord. If she would come to him, he says, you'll never thirst in your soul again. You may come to this well and you might draw water, but you know you always come back because you always get thirsty in a physical way. But I want to give you living water so that your soul will never thirst again. And as we ended the study last week, John chapter 4, verse 15, she had not gotten the point last week. If you are with me, you know It hadn't dawned on her yet that Jesus had moved from physical water to spiritual water. Look with me, John chapter 4, verse 15. This is where we ended last week. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So she was thinking in terms of physical water out of Jacob's well. I want that kind of water that I'll never have to come back out here to the well ever again. She hears the offer of living water, but she still hung on physical, earthly water. So the truth of salvation hadn't sunk in. It hadn't hit her at this point. That's where we pick up today. John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 16 through 29. So the conversation continues now. Go with me. John 4, start with verse 16. Hear these words under the inspiration of God as the old disciple John wrote them down. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five 
husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his precious, holy, mighty word. So Jesus has brought her to the point of her realization of a need that she needs to satisfy her thirst of her soul, of her heart, with living water. With the scripture today, Jesus moves to to pinpoint who she really is. And he helps her to understand that she is like us all. She is a sinner. She is far removed from the will of God. She has done things that stand as a wall between her and God. She is falling short of the power and the plan and the blessing of God's grace in her life. Listen, friends, I want you to know this. This is absolutely important. It's important as we come to terms with this witnessing tool of the gospel of John. Before any person can come to Christ as Savior, before any person can be saved, they first have to be confronted by their own sin. They have to know that they have done that which is wrong against God the Father. They have to know that they are a sinner, that they need to be forgiven. They need to repent. They need to be sorry for their sin. No one can be saved until they first repent of that which they have done against God and ask in sorrow to be forgiven. And Jesus does just that with her. He says, go call your husband. And to her credit, she answers very honestly. She immediately says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know. I know that. In fact, I also know that you have had five husbands. And the man with whom you're living right now is not your husband. I know all things about you. So obviously, this woman has led a very sad life. I want to thank Glenda Ray Jennings for this thought. She planted in my mind because it's very true. What had happened to her that she had been through five marriages? Why had she been divorced five times? 
Well, we really don't know. But remember this, a woman in this day and in this age sitting on that well in Sychar, as she saw Jesus there, could never have initiated a divorce. It was not the legal right of a woman to ever divorce her husband, ever. Only the husband could divorce his wife. We don't know what happened to her. We simply know that she had no legal rights that she would initiate a divorce. So that means that five men threw her away. Five men threw her out the door in divorce. Now, a a woman who was divorced one time was looked down upon by the community. What has she done to drive her husband away? Why would he have divorced her? All the community asking that question. But can you imagine a woman who had been divorced five times? What has she done that she has driven five men away that they would file to divorce, for divorce from her? She was an outcast, friend. She was a pariah. Nobody wanted a relationship with this woman. Something was wrong with her. And all the community, whenever they saw her, would point fingers. There's that woman who drove away five husbands. So the community was saying something is wrong. She's failed five men in the past. And she carried that stigma, she carried that brand on her every single day in the eyes of the people. That's why she came to the well at noon. She didn't want to meet anyone. She didn't want to see anyone. She didn't want anyone to see her and point a finger at her and criticize her once again. So she would come to the well in the hottest part of the day when no one else was there, so she didn't have to talk to anybody. She carried a stigma with her all the time. She was not worthy of friends. And she didn't have a friend. In her own mind, She was worthless. In her own mind, she was ashamed. She dodged people every chance that she got so she didn't have to see anybody. You know, I read a comment somewhere that one commentator said, you know, young people today are saying that living together is not wrong because the Bible never addresses living together directly. And I beg to differ with you. Oh, yes, it does right here. Jesus pegs her as living with a man, and he tells her that is sin. That is a way that you have fallen away from God, that you have taken your life away from the will and the plan and the grace of God by living with this man. He nails down right here that this is a sin before God that she's carrying. See, in this spiral of marriage after marriage and brokenness and all of that, She's now come to the point that she's lost so much self-confidence and she's lost so much of her self-worth that she's given up on marriage and she's just given in to living with a man without marriage. Well, believe me, Jesus is pointing out that lifestyle in this passage as sin in her life. She is removed from the will of God and she knows it. She is convicted right here as Jesus tells her about that sin of marriage after marriage and now living with someone. She's convicted. She's convinced that there's something wrong in her life. What does she do next? Well, right here, Jesus has pushed her far out of her comfort zone. She couldn't believe that this Jewish man was talking to her, a Samaritan woman, to 
to begin with. But now he has talked to her so much that he's pushed her out of her comfort zone. He, he's pushed her into territory that she doesn't want to talk about. When we get pushed into that place that we need to confront our own sin, it is very uncomfortable. She was uncomfortable here when Jesus had pegged her life and her lifestyle and what she was doing far removed from God. So she throws out a diversionary tactic. Rather than talking on about her sin, she brings up another subject. She said, let's talk about something else. She said, Jesus, let me get you on a detour here. There are differences between the way you worship God and the way we worship God. You do it differently in Jerusalem than we do it here in Sychar in Samaria. She says there are differences there. You believe, Jesus, that you're supposed to worship God in the temple there in Jerusalem. However, as a Samaritan, I've been brought up to believe that we are to worship God right here in Samaria on Mount Gerizim. So let's have a debate. Let's talk about where we're going to worship God. Where is the best place? Where is the right place? You see, she's trying to pull him off track, but Jesus will not be drawn off track. Look at verses 21 22. John 4, 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, which, which by the way is a term of respect. Woman is a term of respect in these days. Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So Jesus tells her something that's very important. It is very important for you and me in this day as well. He says, you're going to come to understand that where we worship is not the most important question. The most important question is, who do you worship? Who is the God of your life? Who is the God of salvation? That's the most important question. Now, Jesus does assure her of this in verse 22, that true salvation is of the Jews. In other words, he says, your Savior is not coming out of Samaria. Your Savior is not coming out of the Samaritan people. Your Savior is not coming out of the Gentile population of the world. Let me tell you where your Savior's coming from. He's coming from the Jewish nation. He's coming as a part of the Jewish family of Israel. So he tells her where the Savior will be coming from, that she could look for him. So he says, don't cloud your mind so much with where you're worshiping. Rather, you center your mind on who you're worshiping. Are you giving your life to God Almighty in the right way? And then Jesus goes on. Look at verses 23, 24. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is teaching here, when we truly worship God Almighty, the one who is our creator, the one who is lifted up, the one who deserves glory and honor, when we worship him, it's not so much the location of the body or where we're worshiping him, it's the condition of your heart, how you worship him, as you worship him as the Lord God Almighty. And he says, God is a spirit and his desire it's not just for you to go to a place of worship, but rather his desire is that worship begins in your heart because he's living there. 
It's not so much where you're worshiping, it's how you're worshiping, and that God is living in you as your Lord and as your God. So what he's saying to you, there's a building for God in Jerusalem, there's a building for God here in Samaria, and here we are 2,000 years later, and there are church buildings everywhere. But the real issue is, does God have a home in the temple of your heart? Does God have a place in you as your Lord, as your Savior, as the one who has forgiven you? That's the question that changes eternity, not what church you go to, but does the God of all creation live in you? Is he in your heart as Savior? Have you given your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? That's what changes eternity. That's the promise enacted of forgiveness and heaven Well, somewhere in this woman's life, she had learned this truth. Look at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. She knew to be looking for the Savior. She knew she had been raised, she had been taught that the Messiah was going to come, and she was to keep her eyes open for him to make his appearance. She knew to be looking for him, and Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. I am the Messiah you've been looking for. I am the Christ the world has been looking for. Sitting right here on the edge of a well, I am he. I am God. What an amazing statement that he makes to this woman at the well. He reveals himself to her as God Almighty, sitting on the edge of the well he created. This is her moment now. Here is the, here's the upshot of the appointment with God. Here is her moment. In this very moment, she has to make a decision. She has to decide what he just told her. Is that true or is that false? Will I accept this man who is sitting here on the well as a phony Or will I accept him as my Lord? And she stands at the crossroads. She has to make a decision right now in this moment. Will I accept him as my Lord? Or will I still acknowledge him that he is a phony sitting here? Do I want to say you are fake in what you're telling me and I want to go back to my old lost guilt-filled, sinful life. I'm going to right back where I came from. When I came out here to this well, I'm going right back into that life, and I'm still going to be guilty, and I'm still going to be lost, and I'm still going to feel awful about myself, and I'm still going to dodge every person in Sychar because of my lifestyle. You're a phony. Or will she accept him as Savior? She's standing at the crossroads. And then here comes a commercial break. (laughs) At that very moment, before we know the decision, the disciples come. You remember when Jesus and his disciples got there, he sent the disciples into town to buy food. And they show back up with dinner. By the way, as I studied this again this morning, I thought, what an interesting thing. I wish John had written down what they brought for dinner. (laughs) Here's a fish sandwich for you, hamburger for you. I'd love to know what they had for dinner. But as the disciples walk up, they're amazed, they're amazed that Jesus is talking to this woman. 
They have no idea of the content of the conversation. He didn't tell them anything before they went into town that I have an appointment. I'm going to meet a woman here about salvation. They just went into town and left him there. So as they come out, here he is talking to a Samaritan woman, and they're all, remember, of Jewish background, and they had been taught that you never speak to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. So they're amazed that Jesus is having this conversation with this woman. And yet, they didn't say a word. They held it in. They didn't ask him. They didn't talk among themselves. They just simply held it all in. But they were all thinking the same thing. What is he doing? Stepping over all of these barriers and talking to this strange woman. And at that moment, we know her decision. She recognizes Jesus. She accepts him as her Savior. Something very, very important that I want you to see here. It's just kind of a little side note, but I think it's so very important. She left her water pot, which was probably quite a few pounds, because it would only slow her down if she were to pick up that water pot, take it back into town. It would be a very slow journey. She left it there by the side of the well so she could sprint back into town with some good news for those who were there. And I want you to see how important that is when... We are surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have good news to share. Amen? We have good news to give to the world. She leaves the heavy water pot right there, and she sprints to town. And I don't think she stopped anywhere too long by the way we see it described here, but rather it says that she would go by groups of men, and she would yell to them, Go to the well! Go see this man! Come see a man! He knew everything about me. You need to go see him because I have just met the Messiah. It's an amazing moment that she goes into town telling men that she had met the Lord. Now, I want you to see a very important point that when she surrendered her life to Jesus, something changed about her. She avoided eyes. She avoided people. She avoided contact. And all of a sudden, with Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God living in her heart, she charges into town, willing to tell anyone who would listen, you need to go to the well because you need to meet the Savior. You need to meet the Messiah. She wouldn't speak to anybody, but after this moment, she was speaking to everybody. It was a total turnaround in her life in the way that she related to people. Now, that's a common theme in the Bible, you know, that once you meet Jesus, you want somebody else to know. When Jesus talked to Andrew, John chapter 1, what was the first thing that Andrew did when he came to Christ? He went to find his brother Simon, who later became known as Peter, and brought him in to meet Jesus. Then also in Mark chapter 5, verse 18, a beautiful passage of Scripture, I've preached on it before, about a man who lived among the tombs. A man who was so lost and so filled with demonic activity that the, that the town had put him out and he lived in the, in the cemetery. And they could hear him howling out there at night all by himself in such pain, in such agony, in such lostness, in such sin. And yet Jesus came. And when the man of the tombs met him, his right mind came back to him and he was saved and he was healed. And he said, Lord, let me travel with you. 
Let me get on the boat with you and sail with you and tell others about you. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to go with me, but I want you to stay right here, and I want you to tell your town about what I've done for you. I want you to tell your town about the Savior. Why did Jesus leave him there? Nobody knew him like that town did. Everybody in that town knew about the man of the tombs. As they laid in their beds late at night, just before they drifted off to sleep, they could hear him in the cemetery and the agony he was in. And now he's healed. So Jesus says, give your witness to the people who know you the best. You stay here. One of the most moving salvation experiences I've ever been a part of, I visited with a man who was in his last days on this earth, and I shared Jesus Christ with him, and he accepted him as Lord and Savior. And we prayed together, inviting Christ into his life. And his first words to me proved his salvation to me. When he opened his eyes, he said, I want you to go out in that other room, and I want you to get my wife, and I want you to bring her in here, and I want you to tell her the same thing you just told me. His desire was that that person in this world who was closest to him would know the salvation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She confirmed her salvation that day as well. I want to give you three very basic truths before I close this sermon today. I want you to continue to read on as this passage closes. We'll come back to it. But three truths I want you to hear today in this interchange with Jesus and the woman at the well. Number one, no one is too lost or too bad or too sinful to be outside of the reach of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. No one. No one. Jesus can reach the most lost, sinful person in all of the world. We know that's true. No one is too far gone that he can't reach them. Here's the second point. When you're saved, it is a universal truth. It's not just for preachers and deacons and choir members. It's a universal truth that every saved believer will want to tell somebody that Jesus is the Savior. There will be some way that God will open the door that you and I can share Jesus Christ with someone. A heartfelt desire to share him with our family, to share him with our circle of friends, to share him with co-workers or co-students or whoever it might be. We will want to give away what we have in Jesus Christ. You can't clutch it to yourself, but rather you will want to give it away. Just as this woman at the well wanted to give it away, the minute she got it, she wanted to give it to somebody else. We should have that desire, we should have that need to share the good news with someone else. And then here's the third truth that God gave to me, and he gave it to me this morning when I was studying this sermon at home for the very last time. And the truth is in the form of a question. What is your water pot? She left her water pot by the well so that it did not weigh her down, that she could get into town and to share the good news of Christ with someone what weighs you down, or what weighs me down, that we're not active in our giving the good news in the world? What's your water pot? Maybe it's shyness, 
Maybe it's the feeling of, God, I can't speak to anyone about the Savior because once I get started, I won't know what to say. Well, I can promise you this. If God opens the door for you to speak a word for His Son, He will give you the words to say. I promise you that. There have been many a time that I have walked down a sidewalk toward a house or headed toward a, a, a hospital room saying, God, you just, you're going to have to give me the words for this one. I don't know exactly what to say here. And he always does. If your water pot is that you're scared, you can put that weight down because he will help you. Whatever your water pot is, whatever slows you down, Today, will you bring it and lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I just give you whatever this fear is or whatever's holding me back from speaking a good word about Jesus. Lord, when you open the door, let me say the word. Let me give a testimony. Let me tell someone how good you've been to me. Your testimony is yours. Tell somebody in just a minute how good God has been to you. Don't let anything be your water pot and slow you down. And today, if, as we believers come in recommitment saying, Lord, thank you that you have saved me. Thank you that you love me so much that you died on the cross to give me life. And I thank you, Lord, that as you have given me life, you've given me a joy that I might share this good news with someone else. Help me not be shy in that. Help me not find excuses why I can't. Help me today to put down the water pot and be a witness for you. If we rededicate our lives to this, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be glad when all of these signs are gone off these pews because we need a full church here. And it will be full as we take the good news into this world. But maybe today, as brothers and sisters consider how we rededicate our lives to the Lord, maybe today you have to say, Lord Jesus, I've, I've heard the sermon I've heard about your conversation with the woman at the well, and I'm, the, I'm in the same place that she was. I'm lost. I've got so much sin in my life. I don't know how to get to you. Well, friends, I want to tell you this. Remember, Jesus came to her. Jesus had an appointment and came to her. And today, this moment, whether you're listening by streaming or right here in the sanctuary or out in a car in a parking lot or you hear this sermon somewhere down the, the road of time on an iPod somewhere, he's coming to you right now. His character is not changed. The way he works does not change. He's coming to you. He came to her. He's coming to you now. And he wants you to know him as Lord and Savior. Truly, my desire standing at this pulpit is for you to come to him, wherever you are, for you to come to him as Lord and Savior. I beg you that the Lord will give you the invitation through my halting words. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. He died in your place. He died with your sin nailed to his cross. That's what he tells us, as he did for me. And I want you to come. I want you to know him as Lord and Savior. It's the best decision of your life. How do I know that? Because it's been the best decision of my life. Knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior has given me a purpose for living has given me a reason for getting up every day. Knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior has led me to my wife, has led me to a church home, 
has led me to a place in my life where I can serve him. All of us serve him in different ways, but all of us are called to serve him. Have you followed him to the place of service? Today you can if you have him as your Savior. The Lord Jesus has given me blessings that I couldn't even begin to count. And he's led me through many a storm. He's never failed. And if you will come to him as your Lord and Savior, he will not fail you. That's the promise of God. He will not fail us. I want you to know him. I want you to come, not down the road. I don't want you to think about it in a month from now or a year from now or when you get straightened out from some habit that you have or you want to read the Bible more, whatever it is. Don't let any of that stand between you and him right now. He wants you right now. He doesn't want an improved version of you. He wants you where you are right now. Will you come? Give your heart, give your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The woman of Sychar at the, at, the, at the well stood at a crossroad. and She made the right decision. And today you're standing at the crossroad. Will you make that decision for him? Church home, whatever you need, he meets us. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments. Thank you, Father, that This woman at the well came to that point where she said, I need a Savior. I need to be released from this guilt and from this sorry life and from people who are staring at me because I'm such a sinner. I want to to be released of that, Lord. And she came to Jesus as Savior. And amazingly, the moment after she came to Him as Savior, she went to tell all those people she avoided for so long. That's an amazing point of Scripture to me. I've often missed it over the years, but... She avoided people every day. And all of a sudden, when she came to Christ, she went to see those very people and to tell them there's a Savior waiting for you out there at the well. Father, I pray today that we who are brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, wherever we are, here in a sanctuary or by a computer screen or even in a car, that we'll rededicate our lives, Lord, to thanking you that you forgave us of that old lost sinful life filled with guilt thank you that you opened up a way for us to live and have purpose thank you that you give us the commission to share this good news with someone who needs to hear it my guess is today father that there are some people here who have a water pot with them they need to leave at the foot of the cross there are times that I carry my own water pot I'm not I'm not uh, trying to convince anyone of something that I don't have myself But when we have the opportunity to share a good word about you, Lord, let nothing be the weight that holds us back. And Father, if there's one here today who's never come to Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that this is the moment that he or she will stand at the crossroads and make the decision, yes, I need Jesus as my Savior. I'm coming right now. May they come. Bless us, we pray, in this very important moment as believers and as that one who can be a believer right now in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.